Gang. That's Diablo's theme from the Ghastly Ones. It's from their album A Haunting We Will Go Go, and they gave us permission to run it on episode 108 of Monster Kid Radio, your podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I'm your host, writer, producer Derek M. Cook, and I'm excited to bring to you part two of our discussion with artist, publisher, Monster Kid, Carrie. Now, back in 107, we talked about his background, his history, how he got started in comics and drawing monsters and launching the Monsterverse, that sort of thing. Well, this time around, we're going to talk about one of our favorite actors, one of the patron saints here at Monster Kid Radio, and I'm talking about our man, my man, Bella Lugosi. We're going to talk about some of Carrie's favorite Bella Lugosi films, talk a little bit about Lugosi overall. It's just a fun time. Anytime you get an opportunity to talk about one of these classic movie monster actors with a monster kid, with somebody who loves these movies as much as Carrie does, I mean, it's just a treat. And I'm excited to share that with everybody here on the show here in a moment. First, we're going to go through the business here on the website, monsterkidradio.net, where you can find everything. Links to our live 365 channel, which is a streaming radio station where you can listen to the music and sounds of classic monster movies from the 30s to the 60s. Go check that out. Check out our YouTube page and our Flickr album. Check out our Facebook group and then look up our Facebook page as well. Everything you need to know about Monster Kid Radio you can find right there at monsterkidradio.net. Get involved in the conversations with other Monster Kid Radio listeners over at the Facebook group. Like us on Facebook. Like the page. Just get involved with everything that we've got going on between episodes. I'm excited to get into part two of our discussion with Carrie Gamble about Bella Lugosi. So you know what? Let's just skip everything and get right to it right after this. Do you enjoy movies like Carnival of Souls, The Mole People, Black Sunday, and The Tingler? Do you find yourself late at night reading magazines such as Film Max, Chiller Theater, or Monster Bash? Do you love vintage television programs like Sky King, Outer Limits, and the time tunnel do you find yourself surfing the net looking for the next monster movie festival or expo do you enjoy hearing anecdotes cinematic details and unusual insights into some of your favorite movies if you answered yes to any of the above you are encouraged to join your host vince rotolo as he examines some of the latest horror, sci-fi, and cult theatrical releases, new DVDs to add to your collection, and of course, the old classics, both good and bad. He even interviews people throughout B-Moviedom. So tune in to B-MovieCast at bmoviecast.com. Now, obviously... You know, you're a fan of Bella Lugosi. We've got Bella Lugosi in one of your books as a host. I got to talk Lugosi with you. Sure. I'd love to. I got to talk Bella Lugosi. Now, is uh, of the big three, uh, big two, I suppose, you know, there's Lugosi and Karloff, the kind of the big two monster, mm-hmm. you know, fixtures of, of Universal and a lot, as well as a bunch of other films. Do you prefer Lugosi over Karloff? Like, where do you. So, do you yeah, have to I pick do a, a song? little bit. The big three for me have always been Karloff, Lugosi, and Chaney Jr. Because, mm-hmm. you know, growing up, in the 60s and seeing all those movies at the same time, you know, you don't differentiate between when they were made. Like the Lugosi and Karloff Frankenstein and Dracula, you know, are considered, you know, the real classics. In the 40s, you know, things kind of became more B-movies and stuff. But as a kid, just seeing all these at the same time in all different order and everything, you know, you don't have any sense of that. 
So Cheney Jr., you know, as the Wolfman was one of the big ones, and, and I loved him playing all the monsters. You know, that's what I thought was cool about him. I always thought Cheney was – he was sort of like, you know, an uncle you wish you had or something, you know, just a, a cool everyday guy, you know, that, you know <laughs> – would play monsters in the movies and stuff, and so he was a little more accessible. And you know, you couldn't picture you know Lagosi, you know, being you know a family member of yours. But but Cheney always kind of seemed like man, he'd be cool to have you know next door as your uncle or something. So Cheney was a, really my favorite of the three as a kid. Like I say, because he played all those monsters, and the Wolfman, of course, was in so many movies, and he did that so well, and just that personality of his that you know he he could just portray that torture and everything so well you know as a kid you just you know you just broke your heart you know watching him uh, going through all that but you know over the years when you see all the movies and you kind of get a better scale of you know what the great ones were and everything you kind of gravitate more toward Karloff and Lugosi and those early ones and I've always thought Karloff was a, a little more kind of predictable and I don't know Lagosi's just more interesting to me you know he's got that weird accent and the strange kind of cadence to his speech and the, yeah, and the just just the personality you know and that that look of his you know that's kind of sinister and you know Karloff when he's not wearing the makeup kind of you know look more like like when you see Karloff when he was older when I was a kid, you know, I actually saw a few Karloff movies at the theater when they were new. I saw Die Monster Die and and some of those. And you know, he's just an old man, you know, <laughs> like your grandfather or something. And uh, and even in Thriller and stuff, you know, he didn't necessarily you know look that creepy. But anyway, so somehow <laughs> I've never you know, heard Karloff described that. That's perfect. <laughs> I mean, I love what he does, but you're absolutely right. <laughs> yeah, you know, and he's British, so he seems you know kind of distinguished and things. So to me, you know, Lugosi is just more interesting and kind of exotic and, you know, and then just, you know, he had that kind of, you know, sad but interesting life, you know, they went through so much stuff and he's just very intriguing, you know, personality, really. Do you remember the first Lugosi film you saw? It was probably Ghost of Frankenstein because that's oh. one of the very first yeah. horror films I remember seeing. And, of course, he was Igor in that, so he, he didn't really see, you know, the typical Lugosi. There's a curse on our village. The curse of Frankenstein. was the lightning the most dreaded creation of man the monster of frankenstein stalks again here is drama completely strange full of weird suspense with this great cast sir cedric hardwick lionel atwill ralph bellamy bela lugosi evelyn anchors lon chaney in the gripping tale of a monster the tomb cannot engulf chains cannot hold going to give him life yes not for the purposes that you think Igor I'm giving him another brain is that your shower husband yes yes 
I, I've never been able to quite track down whether I saw Ghost of Frankenstein first or Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein first. But one of those is the first, and Lugosi, of course, in both of them. And he's great at Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein as Dracula, which most people don't realize it's the only time he played Dracula except for the original movie in 1931. Yep. Uh, all the That's other true. films, he was sort of Dracula-like in several films, but but those were the two Dracula films he made over the years. There was those two films, and then he did Dracula in a Betty Boop short, and that was it. Right. He, he didn't yeah. put on the cape as Dracula any time else, but I think – it's a testament to what he did that that's he's who we think of when we think of the classic Dracula. Right. He yeah. just embodied, he made that character his own. I mean, for better or worse, he made that character his own. Right. Yeah, and of course he'd played Dracula on stage before oh, that, yeah. you know, on Broadway. And, and after, right? Oh, yeah. He All through his life, he'd go back to Dracula and, uh, you know, just, you know, never to those glory days of playing on Broadway, you know, but he would do... You know those those tours, you know, to the local towns playing Dracula and different things. And he went back to England in the early '60s and did a Dracula tour, which apparently wasn't very successful. And they ended up making Old Mother Riley Meets the Vampire, or whatever title you know it is. They showed it over in the United States eventually as My Son the Vampire. And you just got uh, the theme song stuck in my head. Thank you very much, Gary Gamble. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> With, uh, Alan Sherman was that? Oh yeah. I'm not yeah. going to sing it, but wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's hard to get out of your head, don't you? <laughs> consider but, that uh, a warning, listeners. Just, just yes. consider yourself warned. <laughs> yeah, that movie's got some good things in it, but it's it's odd for American audiences to understand what they're doing there. It's but odd. Apparently, uh, again, was his name Arthur Dugan? Was that the actor? He played Mother Riley, and it, it, I guess Mother Riley was sort of the equivalent in England to what the Bowery Boys were over here, you know, sort of a low-rent comedy series. There was a whole series of them, you know, through the 40s. Mm-hmm. And apparently that one, the one with Lugosi, was the last one they did. But we see it, and it's got, you know, this man playing an old woman in drag through the whole thing, and there's these weird musical numbers and stuff. <laughs> but uh, Yeah, uh, Arthur Lucan was the man who played Mrs. Riley, and it was a series of films. And this one, I believe, was also the first one in the series in which he appeared without his wife. There was a divorce and and that sort of thing. And I know too much (laughs) about that movie, really. You know more than me, apparently. Uh, It's directed by John Gilling, who would do some work for Hammer Films. And I'm fascinated with this one because – a lot of times, and you see movies like Ed Wood, or you read things that Lugosi didn't understand comedy or improv or anything like that. You mm-hmm. watch something like My Son the Vampire, also known as Vampire Over London, and he's got comic timing. Mm-hmm. He's got the chops, and it's fascinating yeah. to watch. My favorite little shot is where he, uh, you know, he's a mad scientist, but for some reason he sleeps in a coffin and he wears a, a cape when he's when he's in the coffin. And the scene where he's waking up and is he got this little servant there who uh you know takes the cape for him when he gets out but he's yeah. and he asks you, he says, Master, I've wondered, you know, why why do you sleep in a coffin? And he says, Well, it's simple, Jeeves, or whatever his name was. I was buried in it, you know, and he kind of drops his cape on the guy as he walks off. And it's just timed really nice, and it was just funnier than I said it because I don't remember the exact line. But, you know, it's done in a very funny way, and the timing is perfect. And, you know, I think Lugosi 
understood comedy and liked comedy. It's just, I don't know, there's, there's stories that, like, some people claim he didn't even understand English when he was playing Dracula and stuff. And I think all that's been exaggerated. You know, he did apparently do some of his early American plays by learning his lines phonetically. And, you know, he didn't really understand fully what he was saying. But by the time he was doing Dracula and stuff, you know, he'd been in movies and things by that time or, or actually, you know, soon after that. So he did have, you know, a fairly good grasp of the English language. Apparently, like according to Karloff in one of his later interviews, Lugosi never really mastered the English language completely. You know, and Karloff thought that was one thing that, that held him back. But certainly he wasn't saying everything phonetically in Dracula play and, and those other early things. I think that had been much earlier than that. But he is, you know, he had this sort of stagey kind of style to his acting and things and, and maybe it seemed like, you know, he wasn't aware completely of, you know, the content of everything. But I think it's just, just his personal style that kind of made him seem a little otherworldly all the time that gave people that impression that, that he wasn't quite aware of of all the nuances of things but i think he probably was yeah i think so too i think if you look past you know like you said the stories and the interviews and the tales and the urban legends that have cropped up over the years that have popped up over the years and you look you know deeper into his filmography you can see that while he did have a stagey kind of presence that kind of worked for him i mean that was the Mm -hmm. kind of characters that he was being cast at now of course something like the black cat from 1934 it's a role reversal between him and karloff karloff's Mm -hmm. the heavy right lugosi's kind of the hero yeah yeah i love that film it's it's a wonderful film you know i had an opportunity to see that theatrically here a couple of years ago Mm -hmm. Uh, one of the museums was showing it in their screening room and i was just blown away yeah i've seen it at a theater too and it's it's incredible in fact, I saw it uh, last year at the Chinese Theater on Hollywood Boulevard. Oh, wow. Okay, that trumps my story. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was great. Uh, Kurt Hammett was there. He presented it. And oh, in the lobby, man. they had the Boris Karloff full-size figure that Mike Hill sculpted for Kurt Hammett. Uh, if you don't know Kurt Hammett, he's the lead guitarist for Metallica, and he's a huge monster fan and collector. And he's got so much money, he can – buy everything he wants. Oh, his collection is legendary. <laughs> so he has a life-size figure of Karloff wearing the costume that he wore in the Black Cat, you know, and they had that there in the lobby, and then Bela Jr. was there, and so that was a really cool cool thing to see. Yeah, that's one of those great movies. That and The Raven, they're, they're so cool because they're like, you know, the flip side, you know, of the coin. You got Karloff being the, the really evil one, and Lugosi being this tragic hero, and the first one the next one, Lugosi, is just crazy, evil, and oh, yeah. Karloff is a very sympathetic one. Anytime you put Bella Lugosi and a raven on screen together, it's just a dynamic image anyway. Yeah. It's like, those, it's, like it's a spirit animal or something, and they just look wonderful together on screen. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie itself doesn't really follow the Edgar Allan Poe story at all, but, man, it is uh, so good. Right. It's, it's about a guy who's obsessed with Poe, and right. uh, so they have a lot of Poe images in there but it's not of course based on the poem not at all now you're mentioning kirk hammett now another piece in his collection is the costume that lugosi wore from white zombie right from haiti land of the voodoo comes the most infamous cult of all bela lugosi as murder legendre i see death Master of the Undead Damned. 
the sinister power behind the white zombie. Zombies? Yes, they are my servants. This soul killer takes men from their graves to be his slaves. His instruments of terror, and now this fiend plots to possess a woman. Only a pink boy, a silver moth, in a glass of wine, no. or perhaps a flower. Keep it, monsieur. Keep it. You may change your mind. Not dead. Are you mad? I saw her die. The doctor signed a certificate. I saw them bury her. Captive in the borderland between life and death. Her brain drained of the life spark. The white zombie obeys the unholy commands of her demon master. As mindless creatures carry out his cursed will, terror explodes in horror and heartquake. Zombie! Halabi! Halabi! Never eyes so evil, never powers so potent, never magic so black, Bela Dracula Lugosi, as the master of the white zombie. What are your yes. thoughts on white zombie? I really like it a lot, though. It seems like it was made much earlier <laughs> than it was. It you know? does have that feel, doesn't it? Yeah, which I guess the Halperin brothers who made it, you know, had done silent films and stuff, and it's very visual in its approach. You know, they have all these kind of shots, you know, like shot between, you know, lattice work stairways, and and those shots of Bela's eyes are really cool. It's probably the best use of his eyes that's ever been done in a film, where they actually will like. They put black makeup apparently on his face so that they could just isolate his eyes and they put lights on him and, and have those kind of haunting eyes, you know, floating around through the thing. But it's, it's an odd blend of, you know, really cool images and then just very dated, you know, out of style acting and makeup <laughs> and stuff. The, the girl in it, you know, she looks like Betty Boop, you know, it's got these little painted on lips and big eyelashes and she's just like a little China doll thing. Yep. Thing and, and the hero is like the most ineffective <laughs> leading man ever, you know, in a, in a horror because those are always kind of thankless roles, you know, stuff like David Manners would play through the years where the interesting male characters are the bad guys and then you got some wimpy kind of pretty boy, you know, who's got to be the romantic lead, but you know, nobody really cares about just somebody to get the girl at the end. And, right. But the guy in the white zombie, John Heron, yeah, it's just just hard to watch that, you know, take it seriously. And the, the kind of Van Helsing type character in there, the old man who <laughs> knows about zombies, you know, he's he's I guess they kind of play him as a 
comic character partly you know he's got this accent and he's always going part of me do you have a match and yes <laughs> at the at the most awkward times and thing and then they have some actors that you know it's set in haiti but i don't know how many movies they were still doing at 1932 where they were using white people in blackface to play black characters but it had you know some haitian characters that uh, were actually white although the uh, coachman at the first is uh the coach driver at the first who was in Invisible Ghosts with Legosi. Oh, yeah, he was. No, you're right. Yeah. Right. I can't remember his I'm name. I'm blanking he, on him, too, but no, I totally forgot that he was in that other film. I should yeah, know. and he was he was in a lot of films through the years of one of the Sherlock Holmes movies and things. But, uh, so they did have some black actors in there, but for some reason, you know, they also had white people in, embarrassingly, you know, playing black characters. But the film itself, you know, it's really interesting. I watch it a lot. Legosi, you know, is just fascinating to watch in it. And it's a, it's a neat story, although it's very simple. It's kind of a fairy tale kind of story that kind of drags along, you know, but it's sort of dreamlike almost watching it unfold. And the zombie characters are very cool in it. In fact, that's another thing we're planning for the Legosi comics uh, eventually is to do a series based on the characters from white zombie and sort of sort of do like prequels uh with lugosi's uh sort of showing the story behind each one of those zombies and how oh wow lugosi's character you know made him because they're all his past enemies you know they're not just typical or you know random zombies these are all people that he purposely defeated and made into zombies and made into his slaves and one of them was someone that was an executioner that was supposed to have executed him and one is the the like the voodoo leader that taught him black magic and and he you know like learned from the guy and then you know ended up making his old teacher his servant right so it's very devious you know kind of character and all the other people are some like government officials and things he tells their names you know there's a scene where he introduces them all and tells their names and who yeah. they all used to be so it's that like the well zombie there's roll call scene yeah yeah so there's like six stories right there waiting to be told so we're we're hoping to do a little series based on that wow but don't tell anyone they oh no, we, we we won't tell anybody. We won't tell. <laughs> okay, anybody. good. Just between you and me. <laughs> Nobody listens to this anyway, so I think we're fine. So. Right. Right. <laughs> well, you know, we talked about uh, White Zombie. We talked about Black Cat and the Raven and such. Are there any other Legosi films that you feel people need to see that maybe they don't get enough attention? We mentioned earlier, you know, off the air talking about maybe Legosi's top three. Yeah. Films. Yeah. Do you so, have Do you have a list of top three films? Well. Yeah, I would probably say, of course, Dracula being oh, yeah. the first one that Legosi became famous for. I am Dracula. A moment ago, I stumbled upon a most amazing phenomenon. Something so incredible, I mistrust my own judgment. Look. Dracula. The very mention of the name brings to mind things so evil, so fantastic, so degrading. You wonder if it isn't all a dream, a nightmare. Rats. 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 Thousands. Millions of them. But no, this is no dream. This is Dracula. 
the original terrifying story of a maniac and a man who lived after death, lived on human blood, took the form of a vampire bat and lured innocent girls to a fate truly worse than death. Dracula? Oh, what, what's he done to you, today? Tell me. He came to me. He opened a thing in his arms and he made me drink. It's sort of gotten more respect now. It was it was weird in the 60s, you know, all those movies were considered great. And then as we got older and we were, you know, reading more scholarly kind of stuff about movies, people kind of started dissing Dracula because, you know, after those first 10 or 15 minutes that are so great where it's all, you know, in Transylvania, once it, you know, comes over to England, it really slows down and, you know, becomes just very talky and, and Lugosi is not in it that much. So it sort of kind of suffered after a while, you know, its reputation sort of suffered. But I think it's, you know, kind of come back now in most people's minds, especially if you've seen the Blu-ray that, that oh. came out last year. I was going to ask you if you've seen it. It's gorgeous. Oh, yeah. It looks so great. And it's just, just like watching a brand new movie. But, you know, of course, those early scenes, you know, are the best by far. And it's it's just amazing to watch Still, you know, it's just to see how creepy it is. And then all the stuff in sound horror movies just sort of got established right there in that movie, you know, the, the atmosphere, you know, and the bats and rats and uh, the old crumbling castle. And the, all that stuff is just dripping with spooky atmosphere. And Lugosi, you know, I mentioned the word otherworldly a while ago. That's the only way you can describe his Dracula, you know. It's not – I mean, I love Christopher Lee as Dracula. A lot of people prefer him, but he seems like a real person, you know. And Lugosi seems like a dead thing walking around somehow, you know. He's just uh, – Yeah. He's in a different plane, you know, or something. It's, something out of time, something – Yeah. Yeah, that isn't on the same frequency as everybody else around him. That's that's a really good way to put that. That's, and, and you're right. I mean, he just belongs on that set. That's such a wonderful – a location. I mean, the early Universal films, they spared no expense on creating these wonderful sets. Right. Yeah, it was incredible. And, you know, the more you look at it, you know, the more impressed you get with all the details and everything. So Dracula would be, you know, a must on any Lugosi list. Okay. And I think my other top two would probably be The Black Cat, which we talked about, which, like you mentioned, Lugosi, you know, is sort of a – he's not – typecast, you know, like you'd think, you know, because Karloff has the evil role and he's playing more or less a hero, but it's a hero that's been through a lot and, and is very flawed and sort of got his odd characteristics too, you know, so it's an interesting use of Lugosi's talents, you know, to still have a bizarre side of it, but yet have all the sympathetic stuff given to him. The scene where he's they're looking at the glass case with Lugosi's wife you know that Karloff had stolen away from him and, and now she's died and he's got her body encased in glass and Lugosi you know looking up at her and as they're talking he's kind of gets uh, tearful and it's just a very effective scene and very emotional and, and he's got a lot of great scenes in the film oh yeah and of course it's just such a weird movie you know you uh you look at it now and you just don't know what they were thinking. You know, who approved this thing? <laughs> it's, you know, about 
these devil worshippers and and Lugosi's kind of the old nemesis of Karloff's, and they're coming back together after 15 years, and American couple kind of caught in the middle of all this weird stuff happening at this place in wherever it is, Budapest or somewhere. And of course, all the weird architecture and stuff like that. As a kid, I never knew what was going on. In that <laughs> thing. You kind of, I didn't realize for years that it was about Satan worshippers. You know? It's very atypical. It does not fit in the traditional universal monster mold, especially for that time. It's so off the wall. And, and I mean, Olmer was the director on that. And I mean, he was a genius when it came to shadows and, and where he placed things in, in his production design as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so good. That's man. I don't know which movie I'm going right. to want to watch later this afternoon. Yeah. We're talking about so many good ones right now. <laughs> yeah, and how many movies do you see where you know somebody skins somebody else alive at the end, especially uh, in the 1930s? Yeah. Like, wow, no, it's it's rather shocking. You're looking at it even now. A third movie I would probably pick Son of Frankenstein just because it's such a great performance by Lugosi as yeah. Igor, and it's so different than most of the roles he plays. As a man, I could destroy him. But as a scientist, I should do everything in my power to bring him back to conscious life. Edison, turn on the generator. Produced on a vast scale, Son of Frankenstein presents the most fearsome cast in the history of the screen. The Rathbone. In his heart, warm human emotions, in his mind, the monster mania, Karloff, rising from the past to spread new terror. Lugosi, sinister, mysterious, evil, Lionel Atwill, grim hatred in his blood. I think you're a worse fiend than your father. Where is this monster? Where is he? I'll stay by your side until you confess. And if you don't, I'll feed you to the villagers. I think it, it was a cool thing that happened at the time. In the late 30s, Lugosi actually like filed for bankruptcy or something. It was on, on relief of some kind because he just never got cast in anything that wasn't a horror movie uh, after that point in his career, barely ever. So after the, the mid-30s, you know, they, they'd sort of uh, stopped making horror films for a while, partly, I think, because England was cracking down on adult-type movies because they would, in England... You had to be, I think, 16 to get into movies like Frankenstein and Dracula and those things. And they were uh, some of the films. I think The Raven was one of them that the England, you know, ejected to and was sort of, you know, saying we're not going to distribute any more of these kind of films. So that was one of their big markets. That's one of the reasons, uh, as the story goes, you know, that Universal stopped making the horror films for a while. Sure. So, you know, after like 1936 or so. Lugosi, he made one more film for Universal because he had apparently a, a like three picture contract he'd signed at some point, or you know anyway whatever he had one more picture on his contract at the Universal and they put him in this really terrible thing if you've ever seen it called Postal Inspector, and uh, oh I, I I even own it on DVD because I'm a completist but yeah well, well, it, it of course I do too but yes it's. <laughs> 
it's you know very you know cheap thing it's sort of a very pedestrian type story you know about a you know heroic postal inspector you know and the ghosties just plays some kind of uh it's a very minor part you know and he's he's some like crooked importer or something uh i don't remember exactly what it was but you know just a nothing role in a nothing movie and after that he didn't do much through the late 30s he just wasn't working so he ran out of money and then universal when they decided to bring the monster movies back which most people know the basic history of that was that some theater decided to book dracula and frankenstein in as a double feature and they you know did big business so universal officially re-released dracula and frankenstein and i think it was in 1937 maybe eight and there were just lines around the block you know for people to see those movies again so the time was right to bring them back so they decided to do son of frankenstein as a big budget uh, production and make a big deal about it so they got karloff back and they you know, put Lagos in that role as Igor, which apparently was supposed to be sort of a minor part. And they got Lagosi for, I think, 500 a week or something, you know, which they, uh, I guess, was before the union things were really set in stone and stuff. But they knew that he needed the money. So they you know, gave him a very low salary and knowing that he would do it. And the director, Roland V. Lee, said, well, if that's all they're going to pay him, then I'm going to expand his part more. And they kept him working through the whole film, you know, just as to you know, give Lugosi more uh, of a paycheck. But it just really helped the movie, too, because Lugosi gave this incredible performance as this character very different from Dracula or his other roles that I think, you know, it's like he should have gotten an Academy Award nomination for Best Supporting Actor. It's just oh, wow. steals, steals the whole movie. He really does. Uh, his Igor in The Ghost of Frankenstein and The Son of Frankenstein, man, just amazing to see what he can do when he did wear the makeup. I mean, there's the story mm-hmm. that he didn't want to do Frankenstein's monster because of the makeup and all that, but man, when right. he put on the makeup for Igor, he delivered. Mm-hmm. And he's this very gruff character. He kind of, you know, puts on a little bit of a of a gravelly voice and and has that. It's almost like Yoda speak or something, you know. He's he kind of <laughs> this this broken English, you know, and you know uses his hands a lot when he talks and things. And it, it's a very vivid character, and, and uh, you know, got this weird humor to it and everything, you know. And he spits on the guy and the. When he's getting off of the stand in the courtroom, you know, he pretends like he's coughing and spits on him and, you know, Saudi, you know, bone gets stuck in my throat, you know, and he's got these clever, you know, lines. And of course, he's he's the villain of the movie because he's sending like, Karloff's monster out to kill, you know, his enemies and stuff and all the people that hanged him. And so the whole movie kind of revolves around it. But uh, he just pulls it off brilliantly and. You know, he seems very powerful in the thing, too. You know, the costume and makeup and all that really works great. And he's just uh, something to watch. Definitely. I mean, we were talking about his comic timing. His timing is Igor. There's some real black humor with what – like you were just describing the scene where he's spitting. Right. Um, I mean, there's some real black humor with his character that is evident in this, especially in Son of Frankenstein. That's just – Right. It's a fantastic performance. And great makeup, of course. Jack Pierce, top of his game at the time. Mm-hmm. Created a one Igor, I think, is one of the iconic Legosi characters, hands down. I mean, Dracula's right up there, but for me, Igor would be my number two. Yeah, hands down. Yeah, I was uh, was a little disappointed that they they didn't use the Igor teeth in Ghost of Frankenstein. You know, he cleaned they, up. Uh, 
We cleaned yeah. him up a little bit. Yeah, he's he's a little you know more normal looking. I guess it was easier for Lugosi to talk without the teeth in, but uh, but it kind of took a little something away from the character to to take those out. Yeah, he saw a dentist and a and a barber at some right. point. Yeah, he looks up a little bit much more trimmed and. Yeah. Uh, and his clothes are you know, better and everything. But, I mean, he's still good, though. I mean, but Son of Frankenstein is really the highlight reel for Igor. So I think yeah. those are three solid picks, and I, I'd back you totally on those. Okay, uh, wonderful good. films, yeah. Uh, like I said, for me, Dracula's right up there. Igor's right up there. And I love him in The Black Cat, but I also really like him in Island of Lost Souls. Mm-hmm. Which, he's got a very small part, but again, he's acting through this incredible makeup. Right. You know, as the yeah. speaker or the sayer of the law. Yeah, no, I love that too. Like I said, it's a pretty small part. That's one of those movies, you know, like kind of like the Black Cat. We're saying that just you look at it and go, "Who, who approved this?" You know, it, <laughs> it was, apparently it wasn't you know that well accepted at the time. You know, it was considered very gruesome and kind of tasteless and everything. And I know H. G. Wells apparently didn't like it much, but it's a great movie, and you know, Lawton's character is. It's just uh, incredible. <laughs> it's a, it's a tough film because there's so much going on that's just like really, mm-hmm. <laughs> what yeah. is going on? Uh, but right. it's a, it's a great film, and it's actually you know I bring it up and and to kind of go back to your background, you got a chance to memorialize that film on a cover of the new famous monsters of Filmland back in yeah. 2010. Yeah, I was going to mention that if if you didn't, because I'm very proud of that. Yeah, I, I finally got to do a Famous Monsters cover. Like I said, early on, my dream was to have been Basil Gogas, and, and so I finally got to catch up a little bit, and that, which is all – it's all digital, too. Uh, I did it in Photoshop. I was never very good with real paint. You know, I tried several paintings. In fact, I, I sent a painting to Warren back in the mid-'70s that they almost used on the Famous Monsters. Uh, it was Lon Chaney and Man Made Monster, Chaney Jr., and they sent it back to me and wanted me to make some changes in it. When I sent it back with the changes, he didn't like it as much. <laughs> so, oh, no. <laughs> uh, so they, uh, they never did use it. But I took a whack at it back then. But I was never real good with paints, and I was always trying to redo things forever. You know, I'd paint something and then try to fix it, and I'd mess it up, and I'd go back again. And, and just dealing with real paint on a canvas like that uh, was never very easy for me. So... Now that I work digitally most of the time, I love being able to try something, and if you don't like it, you just undo it. <laughs> you know, you don't have to paint over it and start from scratch. You can go back to where you were before and and make changes however you want, and the, and just shift colors around and things like that. But it was really cool to do that on the Lost Souls thing with Lagosi in the center, and then I was able to put all those what I think for Ackerman called manimals. I don't know if that's what they were actually referred to back then, but the human animal hybrids and or the I guess they were evolved animals toward the human form. Some of my based directly on the way they looked in the film. Some of them I tried to sort of, you know, do what they couldn't do back then with the makeup and make them look a little more realistic and things. And, but I, I was just really proud to, to get something on Famous Monsters and really happy that it had Legosi in it and hoping to do some more stuff for them uh, in the future. Very cool. Well, Carrie, I want to. Thank you for spending some time with us here on Monster Kid Radio. It's been a real treat. I know it's been something that we've been wanting to do for a while. So to have you on the show, just thank you so much for spending well, some time. Well, I with appreciate around. it. I just love being able to talk about this kind of stuff with somebody, and uh, it's it's what I live for. So uh, <laughs> thanks very much for, for having me on anytime. 
and listeners, again, monsterverse.com to find out and keep up to date on all the comic book projects coming up. And then you've got a website yourself at carrygamble.com. Yeah, it's kind of an old thing I need to update, but okay. uh, it's still there. <laughs> well, we'll put links to both of those in the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net. So, again, Carrie, thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Derek. And keep us posted with that new Monsterverse project. As soon as something comes up, we'll, we'll talk about it on the show. Okay, great. I sure will. Big thanks to Carrie for making the time to appear on the show this week. And thank you guys and gals for listening to Monster Kid Radio. I'm hoping to get Carrie back on the show down the line. We'll talk about some other things. Yeah, I'll probably talk about Bella Lugosi again because he can never talk about Lugosi too much. But we'll have him back on the show. What's coming up on Monster Kid Radio? Well, this weekend is Monster Bash in Mars, Pennsylvania. I'm going to be there. Scott Morris, Tracy Morris, they're going to be there. Christopher R. Mims is going to be there. And a whole bunch of monster fans are going to be there, as well as actors and actresses from these monster movies, including Arch Hall Jr. and Julie Adams. And I'm going to bring to you a little bit of coverage from Monster Bash next week on the show. And well, we'll probably do that over the next few weeks, depending on how much I can record. So that's happening this weekend, the 20th, 21st, and 22nd. Next weekend, back here in the Portland, Oregon area at the Tigered Joy Cinema, Monster Kid Radio will crash Creature from the Black Lagoon Saturday, the 28th. We're going to go to the evening show. Showtimes have not been announced. But as soon as they are announced, we'll make sure we update the event page over on Facebook. Now, if you have any feedback for anything that we've done here on the show this time around or previous episodes, email us at monsterkidradio at gmail.com or call and leave us a voicemail at 503-479-5657. That's 503-479-5MKR. Again, big thanks to Gary Gamble and thanks to the Ghastly Ones for letting us play their song here on Monster Kid Radio. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. Of course, that does not apply to the song Diablo's theme. That belongs to the Ghastly Ones. It's on their album, A Haunting We Will Go Go. Find out more about them over at ghastlyones.com. Talk to everybody next week from Monster Bash. Monster Bash.